This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Equity Lives! I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is you Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast that follows our journey of investing. Whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett status, our aim is to help break down your barriers from beginning to dividend. My name is Bryce and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going? I'm going okay, Bryce. Can't quite say well. But I am excited for this episode. <laughs> Good. Despite COVID, your excitement levels don't wane. Yeah, I thought COVID was done. I thought <laughs> I thought we'd got through it. <laughs> I know. It was so classic. On Friday last week, I was sitting on the rooftop at Equity Mates HQ. I don't think you were there. You were away. can't remember where you were. But are I was you, sick. Were you sick? Yeah, you were sick. Yeah. At the time, you didn't have COVID. And we were having this big yahoo about COVID's dead. We don't know anyone who has had COVID in the last six months, all this sort of stuff. Whammo, bammo, two people in the office got COVID. So <laughs> it is what it is. So it's your, it's your fault. I guess so. Jinxed it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> anyway, so it's going to be, it's going to be a pretty loose episode today. Uh, unfortunately, because I'm not in the studio, we can't do my book Bonanza, mm-hmm. but that will be back with a vengeance next week. So watch this space. But it has meant that we've had a lot of time to learn and research and I've been I've shared a few things in the forum. So we've got a few different things that we want to talk about today. You've told me that you want to start with a confession. Yep. And then I I want to talk about something that I got wrong, a company that I invested in that I was wrong about. Okay. There's been a lot of chat about Meta. Yeah. I don't know if we can add much to that discussion, but let's try. And then we're going to close it out with Carvana a stock that's down 95% and that you have some thoughts on. Yes. So we're going to be talking about a lot of stocks that have fallen today. Well, yeah, and maybe a bit about the FTX Binance drama because since yesterday's video update that I did, there has been changes. Uh, so we might touch on that as well towards the end. There's plenty going on in that space. A lot of a lot of fallen superstars in today's episode. Yes, yes. Not equity yeah. mates though. Well, Ren, before we do some yes. housekeeping, uh, you've been leading the dive and we now have a new Instagram page. Speaking of fallen superstars, <laughs> the original dive Instagram has fallen, fallen at the hands of Meta's automated autocracy. And uh, we've had to, long story, but we've had to move to a new Instagram handle. It is no longer the dive dot business news. It is now the dive business news, all one word. 
So uh, if you have been following us, if you've been enjoying getting the news headlines is a, in an accessible, digestible way, that's going to keep going, but just at a new Instagram handle, the yes. Dive Business News, all one word. Uh, go and check it out. And don't build businesses on other platforms. That's the lesson. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't own the platform, you don't own the audience. Yeah. Damn it. Anyway, <laughs> lesson learnt. Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes to the new Instagram page. It's also just really unfortunate that we've been forced to do it in a time of mass bots where we have all these knockoff accounts for all of our podcasts. Um, but the Dive Business News, all one word, is not a bot. It's just us uh, with a new account. <laughs> so what have we learned this week, Ren? Uh, I do have a confession. Now, we often speak about an investment thesis and the importance of having an investment thesis, particularly when it comes to knowing when you might want to exit a position and sell because there really shouldn't be a reason that you sell a company, in my view, unless your investment thesis has been sort of truly broken. And that's why it's important to write down the thesis and kind of review it periodically to ensure that your thesis still stands and the reason you invested in that company still stands. Now, despite having said all of that, I am somewhat embarrassed to admit that there is a company in my portfolio that I had an investment thesis for, a clear investment thesis, and it has now been broken on multiple fronts, yet I still continue to hold this stock. Um, that's my confession. Now, Well, I feel like a, con a full confession, you have to tell us what it is. <laughs> yes. Now, and, uh, the, the company is, is Magellan. So full, full disclosure, Magellan are invested in us. So um, we, we still love Magellan, the people that are there and the support that they've provided to equity mates. But I think for me, it's been a, a clear lesson that the, my original sort of thesis in investing in Magellan, the company, I do still have money in their, in their global funds, in the company was based around the fact that there was opportunity for balance sheet investing and the, the way that they were going to grow the business over the longer term outside of just the funds management. Yeah, I think we, we spoke about that a lot uh, a couple of years ago now. It's like the funds management business would spin off a whole bunch of cash that they would use to invest in superstar businesses like Baron Joey, Finclear, Guzman and Gomez yes. and Equity Mates. And Equity Mates, that's it, the four superstars. <laughs> and the other part of it was that, you know, funds management business, assets under management is super important and it was growing really well at the time of investment. But both of those parts of my thesis, assets under management and the sort of balance sheet investing have now sort of turned and I would say as a result my thesis has broken. But I, I haven't sold and there is no reason for that other than the fact I haven't followed my own advice and I haven't sold. I've still got it. And now I'm in this predicament where I feel like it, it should be, I should, I should do it because that's what I'm telling everyone on the show. <laughs> what do you think? I, I guess the question is, are you going to do it? <sighs> yeah, I think so. I think so. Take the capital loss, okay. take the capital loss and, um, and just watch the stock and watch the business. They've brought in a new CEO. They've brought in new people into the business. And and um, I'm not not saying that at all. It's it's not going to be something that I reconsider later down the track. But I think for the purpose of um, writing an investment thesis and and saying that when it breaks, that's the opportunity. Then I should follow my own advice. So there's my confession. I'll give you an update next week when I sell. Nice. And just to <laughs> clarify, because. You know, we have invested in Magellan multiple ways, and I'm sure a lot of the audience has. So just to be clear, 
you own Magellan the stock. Yeah. But then you also had money in the Magellan Global Fund. Yeah, yeah. Are you out of are you out of both? No, no, no. No, I'm still in the funds. Still appreciate their investment philosophy perspective. The the people that they have there are amazing investors and and I'm 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 happy to give their my money to them. Well, let me let me challenge you on that because the thesis on the stock was growing assets under management and balance sheet investing. And you're saying the thesis on the stock is broken. Yeah. What's your thesis for the fund? Uh, The thesis for the fund really came from the people that were managing the fund and who we'd spoken to on the show. And I just really respected them as investors. And I think that some of the companies that they're invested in give me exposure to the companies that I want to be invested in. And I'm sure you can see where this is going, but has that thesis turned with the news this week that Hamish Douglas has sold two thirds of his position? No, because I think that's out of the business, which is kind of aligned with what I'm saying as well. So, but he's not like his role as an investment analyst, yeah, portfolio but, manager. But that that was that's been news for a while. I think the people that are leading the the global funds, I'm I'm more than happy with with who they are. So. Um, yeah, I'll keep everyone updated as time progresses. Nice. Full disclosure, I'm still in the global fund as well. So <laughs> there we go. Nice. All right. So what have uh, what have you learned this week? You said at the top you have a mistake that you've made with a stock that you invested in. Yeah. Yeah. God, we're being very public with our mistakes today. <laughs> but hey, that's 2022. That's the state of the market. So I want to share one big mistake I've made this year, uh, just in the spirit of learning in public. And I guess I want to talk more generally about the thematic that I think is still quite interesting, albeit the company that I put, that I invested in hasn't really panned out. Maybe yet, maybe at all. Are you familiar with Jumia Technologies? No. Okay. New York Stock Exchange ticker JMIA. It's uh, like a pan-African e-commerce player. Think of it as like the Amazon for... Uh, Africa, maybe maybe better to think of it as like the Mercado Libre for Africa. Um, but it started as an e-commerce platform. Uh, and then in the years since, it also built out a payments infrastructure. Okay. And it was, perhaps still is, uh, shaping up to be the African super app. Well, one of the front runners. There's another, uh, there's another one that may be in a better place. But that, that's essentially what the company is. Okay. So before we talk about what's happened to the share price, uh, let's talk about why I like the theme of Africa because I don't think we've spoken much about it uh, on this show. No. But it's a continent of 1.4 billion people where internet and mobile penetration is incredibly low. Mm. Pew found that just 41% of sub-Saharan Africans had access to the internet or smartphones. Wow. So two-fifths of the population do, three-fifths don't. And that is changing as we speak. So there's a number of massive projects uh, going on at the moment to give uh, better internet access to the continent of Africa. Google are building a massive undersea cable, the Equiano cable, uh, which according to their research will improve median download speeds in Nigeria by up to six times, reduce retail data prices by 21% and create new economic activity 
that will result in 10 billion being added to the economy. So Google's building one undersea cable. Meta is building another, the two Africa cable. And basically these are giant fiber optic cables put in the seabed uh, that literally take internet from, they're going from Europe and then around, I think Meta's going around the continent of Africa. Google's just going to the continent. Wow. These two massive projects are going to deliver uh, much faster internet, much cheaper internet. And hand in hand with the cheaper smartphones we're seeing, especially out of um, Chinese manufacturers, there's a there's a real argument that that rate of internet penetration and smartphone penetration is going to really uptick rapidly in the next few years. SpaceX are obviously on the forefront of satellite internet, but Amazon is also getting in the game with their Kuiper, I think you pronounce it, their satellite internet. We saw that massive multi-billion dollar merger earlier this year between uh, Britain's OneWeb and France's Utelstat, which are two big satellite internet players because they want to compete better with SpaceX. The world is going to be a lot more connected to the internet. And I think where that makes a massive economic difference is in Africa. And so Jumia, I thought, had a head start in terms of, you know, the internet is coming to Africa. There's going to be local winners. There's going to be local companies it would be an incredibly difficult operating environment for a company like Amazon to come into and say, we're going to take what we've learned in America and apply it to Africa. Just operationally, it would be chalk and cheese. And so I figured there would be local winners. And so I thought Jumia was an interesting investment. There's also another, if we're talking about um, companies that are right on the forefront of the, you know the internet revolution in Africa, whatever you want to call it, the other company to be aware of is M-Pesa, okay. which um, is like an, a branchless online banking service. I think it's co-owned by Vodafone and the African telco Safaricom. Um, but that, that, that's another really interesting company like um, mobile banking, you know, for all of these massively underbanked communities, mm. underbanked countries mm. um, is a really interesting thematic playing out as internet penetration and smartphone usage increases. But anyway, M-Pesa not listed. Jumia is, I think it's the only African stock listed on the New York Stock Exchange. All right. Fact check me on that. But uh, if not the only one, one of the few. So anyway, that's the company. That's the thematic. That's what I'm interested in. Fair call. The share price peaked in February 2021 above 60 bucks a share. Since then, it's down 94%. Oh, (laughs) <laughs> now, in May this year, it was down about 88%. Okay. And so I was like, this has been smashed. It's something, it's a thematic I've been interested in for a while. I'll just have a little dabble. And luckily, it was just a little dabble because since I bought it in May, already down 88%, it's fallen another 50%. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, is it just caught up in in what's going on and and there was a bit of uh, hysteria around it and it it, it ran and now it's coming down or have there been some material changes that have driven this? Well, there's been a big material change this week, which is why I'm bringing it today, but I'll get to that. But before then, there's um, there's a – I don't know if it's a famous saying, but there's a a saying in investing, what do you call a stock that's fallen 90%? Um, I don't know. A stock that fell 80% and then halved? Nice. And it's just it's just a reminder that, you know, a stock can fall 
and it can still fall 80% again yeah, from there. Yeah. So you asked, has there been a material change? This week, the two co-founders are stepping down. Wow. It looks like they've been forced out from their board. So uh, the co-founders and co-CEOs of the company, I think it was founded in 2012, you know, who rolled it out across, I think it's in like 11 countries in Africa. Yeah, they have basically been cleared out. And the a key reason that's sort of been given is for years, Jumia has said they're on a path to profitability and they've never really achieved it. And so the a lot of the reporting at the time is like now we're going to become profitable but yeah it's not so i guess something you want to say no but i guess the question is uh so a couple of questions so i've just spoken about investment thesis you obviously have put forward your thesis which feels to be driven by sort of the larger macro theme that is playing out and then you've gone from there and sort of said well which country which companies are likely to benefit and you've you've landed on jumia Given that you're still so bullish on the thematic, is this uh, is this something that you're going to just continue to hold, or are you saying that this is a mistake? And given the changes to CEOs, now you're you're thinking of revisiting the whole thing. What's the play? Look, it was already a small percentage of my portfolio. <laughs> given <laughs> given what happened since May, it's an even smaller percentage of my portfolio. So I'm probably not at the point of selling it yet. But I think it's just um, it's probably an important reminder that. You can be excited about a macro theme, but you still have to do the work on the individual companies. Yeah. And maybe you're just too early. Maybe it's the right call, but just five years too early, 10 years too early. Who knows? Yeah. 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 But I mean, like that's that's the case. The company could be too early as well. Yeah. 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 You're right. Nice. Well, um, two two lessons to start off the episode, but we want to cover off what's going on elsewhere in the market. We've got Meta, I've got some stuff around Carvana and and FTX. So Ren, let's turn to to Meta where it's been in the headlines a lot lately. Um, I was just uh, on an interview that will be coming out this Thursday with Stephen Glass, who's an ESG investor. He was speaking about Meta and we've seen this morning that the layoffs, Ren, are now in full steam. The first mass layoffs in the 18-year history of Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg admitting that he's got it wrong. Well, if any of those software engineers want to come to a fast-growing media tech (laughs) startup... Australia's fastest. (laughs) Contact careers at (laughs) equitymates.com. That reminds me, we do have a job opening for a business development manager here at Equitymates to join the team. Full-time role if you're a hungry, results-driven, passionate person that wants to help grow the uh, client base and revenue streams of Equitymates. Uh, hit us up at careers at equitymates.com. Look, all I'm, all I'm hearing is that some startups are shedding jobs, Stripe, Twitter, <laughs> Meta, <laughs> FTX, and then some startups are adding jobs. That's it. <laughs> no, so look, um, I think, you know, Meta have, uh, so I guess the latest is that they're laying off, I think about 11,000 or between 11 and 18,000 of their employees around the world. Um, They're facing into some pretty heavy headwinds around Zuckerberg's investments in the metaverse uh, and that that's not um, panning out, but also they're struggling now with um, revenue and the advertising side of the business and um, recent quarterly earnings have suggested that 
you know, they're really battling with the Apple privacy policies and uh, struggling to generate the the revenue growth that they were over the past sort of decade or so. And the stock is getting absolutely pumped. A fascinating stat is that if you invested in Apple, uh, Facebook five years ago, five years ago. And if you think about what's happened over the past five years, we've seen some of the biggest bull runs in our investing life. You would actually be down um, if you'd invested in Facebook five years ago. So crazy stock. And um, maybe we are starting to see a real change, changing of the guard, Ren. I reckon at some point it gets cheap. Well, it's funny you say that as I was just speaking with um, Stephen Glass from Pella, who, as I said, will be out this Thursday. Great interview on ESG, but he's, he was really leaning into, you know, it's not a, an ESG approach, but from a cheap business, you know, versus the cash flow that it's generating, it's it's um, definitely in a, a value play at the moment. But but the question is like, does does cheap matter if the long-term growth prospects of this thing don't make sense? That's what like, just because it's cheap doesn't mean it's a good investment in my opinion. So it made me think of the Ricky Sandler interview we released a couple of weeks ago. What, what do we call it? Like valuation is an opinion, mispricing yeah. is an opportunity. Yeah. It feels like maybe this is a mispricing moment where people are just massively overweighting the metaverse side of it um and and really the biggest mistake that meta has made is the rebrand and if it was still called facebook and it was so this year it's lost nine billion dollars in its vr and metaverse division um but it's it's had like 32 billion dollars of capital investment i think a lot of that's in ai recommendation to keep up with tiktok and stuff like that the majority of the investment is still not in the metaverse it's in other parts of the business if they hadn't rebranded would they have been smashed this badly? And maybe we're just mispricing what this company still is because of how it's positioning itself. Maybe they should just call themselves Instagram. Oh, probably. <laughs> maybe they should split out Instagram that and would just be, invest that in that. That would be better, yeah. <laughs> That's the only sort yeah. of thing that I think about. It's like, you know, it, it feels like at some point they turn and say, look, just like, you know, the Wes Farmers of the world and these businesses that have great businesses within them, but one of the businesses is sucking all the capital and the others are, you know, spitting out incredible returns and they are the ones that are generally sold off and and you keep the good businesses. It feels like at some point maybe you might see Instagram and and WhatsApp separated, but who knows? But um, yeah, it's an interesting story. They'll never separate Instagram and WhatsApp. They WhatsApp be, doesn't make enough money and Instagram to. is their cash cow. Yeah, get rid of Instagram. Oh, you mean from a from an antitrust position? Well, no, nah, just more that like shareholders just might get fed up with the fact that Zuck is pouring all this money into a flail, failing metaverse but, business. And- no, nah, that's that's the problem with like super majority shares and stuff like that. Or, or you know, like the fact that Zuck has control True. of this thing. Like if you split out the metaverse, he couldn't then... Uh, he couldn't pour in money into it. it. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 The, the other interesting thing, so we shared, we've shared a couple of articles in Thought Starters the last few weeks. One from Ben Thompson from Stratechery, who is still a Facebook bull, talking about why he's a bull. And then we shared the week before a letter, an open letter from one of Facebook's longest investors, you know, longest time period investors, basically calling for change. Um, so you can go on our website and read them if you're interested on seeing both sides of the the Facebook divide, I guess. But in the Stratechery article, there was this interesting point that 
So Facebook still is not not Facebook the parent company, Facebook the Blue F platform, the one that it feels like no one's using anymore, is still reporting user growth, which is just a really interesting dynamic. Yeah. And maybe not quarter on quarter, but like year on year. And the point that they were making is it's growing where the growth is, which is in, you know, like Southeast Asia and stuff like that. And, you know, sure, it might be it might be losing users in Australia and America. I'm actually not sure about America and Australia, but the growth is coming from those emerging markets where you everyone's getting it. really excited and trying to find opportunities to play in. Mm. You know, like to to throw back to our earlier conversation, if Meta if Meta's to Africa cable connects yeah. Africa the African continent to the internet, but the homepage of the internet is Facebook. Perhaps the best way to play the African emerging thematic isn't Jumia or M-Pesa, but it's Facebook. That's not my argument, but that is an argument yeah, that I, say I that. read. Yeah. yeah, It's a fair play uh, and you would expect them to grow in those markets as more and more people come online. Um, does it take away from the other massive challenges that they're facing? The one call out with that though is the a rate that you get for advertising in Southeast Asia or Africa mm. compared to the rate you get advertising mm. in America is less. Chalk and cheese. All right, Ren, let's move on. Uh, I want to talk about Carvana, but before we do, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. So Ren, Carvana, um, we often talk about analyst ratings and price expectations that they put out there. Um, you know, price, um, prices that they think stocks are going to hit or prices that they think stocks are going to fall and how more often than not, analysts never get it right. Um, but how's this for a bit of a boot, a bit of an embarrassing moment, in my opinion, from Morgan Stanley. Carvana, you know the stock? I do. Yep. Used cars. Used cars. Yep. Now, Carvana was trading at $377 at its peak. Morgan Stanley analyst Adam Jonas raised the recommendation on Carvana Co., to overweight from $377 to $420 was his price target. 
implying um, a 59% increase at the time. It was a $309. Pretty uh, impressive price target. So that was about a year ago. Now, uh, same headline, same analyst. Here's the headline. 98% it below its high. Morgan Stanley say Carvana could be worth $1. So... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's a range, $420 to $1. <laughs> Currently trading at about nine. Oh They're saying God. it could go to one. It's just like, guys, th- th- this is why you've got to be very careful listening to analyst recommendations and price targets or and us. all these sorts of things or us. It's just crazy. One headline, it's going to hit 420. Second headline, we're down to a dollar. It's like unbelievable. The argument around the these broker recommendations is they're used by the investment banks to get more business. Yeah. To yeah. do their next capital raising or whatever it is. And so did you say it worked for Morgan Stanley? Yeah. Yeah. So like Morgan Stanley probably wouldn't have liked it if he put a sell rating on it at $360 a share or whatever it peaked at. But I guess then they they'd say when it's trading what, it's like seven dollars fifty a share now. You can put a sell rating on it. They're not getting another capital raising yeah, through the door. Yeah. <laughs> but I also just think it's, I don't know, my counter argument to that is it just discredits the um, the reliability and I guess the, the the accuracy of having these analyst recommendations. If, if an analyst came out and said it's 320, uh, 377, but hey, guys, this is nuts, this thing this thing is probably only worth a hundred and then it does fall to a dollar, then that I think gives more weight to Morgan Stanley as an investment advisor than if you're just throwing things out for business. I buy, I get it. I get it. They, they no, do it for but business. That's, that's, that's the whole sell side, buy side thing. Like if you're on the sell side, like if you're an investment bank or something, people think of you as a good investor, but you're a, um, you're a sales yeah, no, you're, you're a, a sales team. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you're sell- you're selling yourself, you're selling what you're selling to investors and institutions and the buy side, but you're also selling yourselves to the companies that yeah. you want to work with. Yeah, of course. With. Yeah. And it's like, hey, look, if we can if we can make a case for Carvana at 420, w- think about what we can write for your stuff. <laughs> True. <laughs> Equity. <laughs> it is it's an interesting one. I wonder if there's any career risk for what was the analyst name? Adam Adam Jonas. Like, do Morgan Stanley pat him on the back, or are they like, you're not, you're not writing any more analyst reports? Well, surely it's just like, hey, mate, thanks for giving the uh, for the giving the price target that went well. The market's bombed. Like, nothing you can do about it. Give us another price target, and he's come out with a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be hilarious if Carvana rips back to four twenty. This guy would be like, get on over this stock. Uh, anyway, uh, Ren. There's been plenty happening in the world of cryptocurrency. We haven't spoken about it on the show for a while, but um, we've had some developments with FTX and Binance. Now, do you want to do it and explain it like I'm five to to me? Give us the rundown because it's been a pretty it's been a pretty amazing turn of events that is really scaring the world of crypto. FTX and Binance are two of the biggest crypto brokers, so. Think of a broker, you know, like an eToro, a Robinhood, a Stake, a Superhero, a Comsec, uh, the brokers that we buy shares through. You buy crypto through brokers as well. Binance and FTX are two of the biggest ones. Uh, FTX has a token that they issue, FTT, 
and Binance owned a couple of billion dollars worth of FTT. And so last week, the CEO of Binance came out on Twitter and said, we're dumping all of our FTT. And that sparked a panic about what was going on with FTT. Was there a reason that he did that or is it just competition? Well, there definitely would have been a reason, uh, but I don't, no one, no one knows, but it might come out. The sort of the theory is at the time that FTX and Alameda Research, which was the founder of FTX's like hedge fund, they were broke, basically. Right. They were insolvent. But that's just a theory at this stage. So the Binance CEO comes out and says Binance are dumping all of FTT, which then sparks other people to sell and causes a bit of a run on the bank in some ways. People who have their money with FTX are trying to pull it out. Now, FTX don't have the liquidity, like they don't have the assets in the bank to meet all those withdrawal requests. And then they're forced into an emergency sale to Binance. And in the space of a couple of days from this first tweet, they then announce that Binance is acquiring FTX. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. And isn't Well, the- and no, we should, sorry, we should be clear that it's a non-binding sales agreement. Yeah. But I think overnight, didn't it come out that after doing some due diligence that Binance are now actually more likely to be walking away from the purchase of FTX because of some gaping holes in the structuring and finance of of FTX. And so the news of the day, at least the day as we're recording it, is that Binance have pulled out of the FTX merger one day after (laughs) their uh, non-binding agreement. I think the quote is beyond our ability to help. Wow. Wow is what they said wow. when they pulled out. Absolutely which, roasting FTX. Yeah, which isn't good. <laughs> there's there's some conspiracy I saw when this happened a couple of days ago that was like when JP Morgan, not the investment bank, but the the banker, like the JP Morgan, he was asked to come in and backstop some other bank or bail out some other bank back in his day, used it as an opportunity to see, look at look at like look at their books, look at what positions they were in, and then just pumped the counterparties to those positions and crushed the bank he was asked to bail out. Interesting. Is this is this the same? <laughs> well, I mean, they are pretty fierce rivals, FTX and and uh, and Binance. There's two CEOs, um, Shang Pen Zhao, I think, is CEO of of Binance, and the 30 year old um, Sam Bankman Fried is the is the CEO of of FTX. Was a billionaire. Yeah. Don't know how much of a billionaire he is now. Yeah, it was. Worth yeah, up to yeah, 15 yeah. billion. So anyway, fascinating story. It has scared the market though, Ren. I think um, over the last couple of days, Bitcoin and Ethereum down over 10% um, as as people are a bit sort of bewildered with what is what more can come uh, in this, yeah, so, in this t- tussle. So Bitcoin to US dollar is down 25% in Oof. the last five days. Whoa. It's in the 15s now. Whoa. And then Ethereum to US dollar is down a third, 33% over the past five days. It's at 1700 at the time of recording. 15,000 USD. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It was, it was sitting, it was sitting pretty at 20, but yeah, yeah this is, this has really spooked everyone. And like the the big reason to be scared is contagion. So this was the risk with um, 3RO's capital 
and um, you know the the fallout from Luna and everything that sort of happened earlier this year, which was if you're if you're borrowing this and then it goes to zero, then you owe. Mm. Sorry, if you're borrowing to buy these currencies, or if you're borrowing to put money into FTX or you know whatever it is, or um, or if you're lending money to Alameda Research and then they become insolvent, all of a sudden you have a hole in your balance sheet yeah. and you've got to fill that some way. And that that's where you can get this contagion where then other financial institutions are in trouble. Now, the really ironic thing, the really ironic thing is that if this wasn't crypto, if this was stocks, chaos, the Fed comes in here. Yeah. Yeah. Because and like the classic example of that, 1998, long-term capital management, reportedly the smartest guys in the room, uh, blew up their hedge fund, and in blowing up their hedge fund, almost took part of the financial system with them. The U.S. Federal Reserve came in and ensured that there wasn't contagion throughout the financial system. Mm. Fast forward ten years to 2008, and once again, the smartest guys in the room, the U.S. investment banks managed to blow up their banks with, you know, collateralized debt obligations on the U.S. housing market. Once again, the U.S. Federal Reserve steps in and backstops the financial system and stops contagion. But that is what, that is the, that that action of the Fed is, is what led to crypto. It was, you know, like the, a key driver of the original Bitcoin white paper and everything. Mm. But it is the lack of a central bank to backstop the the industry mm. that has meant that this could get so much worse. Yeah, get quite messy. So it's not like a value judgment about one system being better. Like there's plenty of arguments against the Fed, but in the way that they can ensure that this contagion risk doesn't spread, that's a pretty strong argument in their favour. Yeah, well, um, I don't know how, how your um, crypto portfolio is looking, Ren, but mine's looking pretty red. So um, although I'm not actually in a lot of crypto anymore, which is kind of good yeah i mean it's looking red it's looked red since like <laughs> november 2021 since you bought it yeah <laughs> i guess the, uh, i guess the question is like is, would there be a point where you stop dollar cost averaging in i don't think so no for me this is the time to be doing it and i'm only doing it at such small scale that it's kind of like it's just like I'm, I'm just so fine with what is going in at the moment and I'm happy catching the knife as it falls down and down. Um, but uh, but yeah. my focus is... DCAing so, so, to zero. Yeah. <laughs> True. <laughs> <laughs> oh, who would have thought? Anyway, anyway, we've covered a lot of ground today. One thing before we go that ties our first story and our last story in together, beware the next Warren Buffett comparisons. Oh, yeah. Because... Hey, Hamish Douglas was anointed by the AFR and the Australian financial press, uh, Australia's Warren Buffett. And Sam Bankman-Fried was anointed by, I think, Forbes, but by a number of the US publications as the next Warren Buffett. So if someone that you're investing with is named the next Warren Buffett, sell. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that because I'm going to reference the interview coming up this Thursday as well. Stephen said, you shouldn't read any Warren Buffett stuff. It's a mistake. Don't try and do what he does because no one can do what he could do. And to think that what he's done is repeatable is, is a mistake. So f find an alternative way. 
So if you're interested in that and other quotes that uh, there are some pretty good quotes that come out of it, i.e. you're not, you're never making money in a bull market. You're only renting it. I was like, okay. So to expand on some of these. That's good. I like that. <laughs> so uh, make sure you tune in on Thursday to hear uh, our interview with Stephen Glass. But Ren, we've covered a lot of ground. We have um, ran, out, ran out of time, but great to chat. I, I hope you feel better and uh, back in the studio next week. Uh, but until then, uh, have a great week. Sounds good. You have been listening to an Equitymates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have positions in the companies mentioned. Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 540697. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.